On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Andre Harvin as we discuss addressing vaccine hesitancy in diverse patient populations. Hi everyone and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by the Ohio State University Lachalet Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Andre Harvin, PharmD, MS, BCPS, serves as the Director of Pharmacy, Oncology, at Cone Health in Greensboro, North Carolina. In his role, he oversees all aspects of cancer care for the Cone Health System with a focus on pharmacy revenue cycle management, managed care, and pharmacy regulations. Prior to his current position, he had leadership roles in the pharmaceutical and PBM industries. He completed his PGY-1 and PGY-2 combined health system pharmacy administration residency at The Ohio State University and also completed his PharmD at the University of Michigan. I'm really excited uh, today to have on our show Dr. Andre Harvin. Andre is one of our past graduates, but he's since uh, grown a passion for uh, addressing vaccine hesitancy in uh, diverse populations and minority groups. And uh, I, I'm really proud of what he's done. And, and I think you're going to, the folks on this podcast listening will really enjoy the conversation. So Andre, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Sure. Again, you know, you're, you are one of our prize graduates uh, of our program. And I'm, I've always been proud of what you've done and how you've, uh, you know, really fought through a lot of things in your residency, as well as how you've kind of done so well in your job, and, and now you're fighting another battle, and that is vaccine hesitancy. But, but before we talk about that, is there anything that you'd like the audience to know about you that may not be in your bio? Yeah, there's probably a lot, not a lot of things in my bio. I, I say probably one of the more fun things about me is that through this past year and a half of the pandemic, it's, it's been really tough on everyone. And uh, I, I've taken up a lot of gardening, so it's something that I've grown oh, yes. a tremendous <laughs> passion about. But my joke is that I, I probably have whatever the opposite of a green thumb is because everything I plant, it sort of dies, and then I have to find a way to bring it back in life. But uh, one of my favorite things after having you know, a long day at the hospital, um, working with all of our sick patients, um, being a leader within our field, uh, being able to drive up to my house and just kind of see the fruits of your labor with some just beautiful flowers or shrubbery is just something I really enjoy. And then on the weekends, that's why I, how I kind of wind on. I'll just get out there in the yard and start to get, do a little bit of work. So great. That's all. Yeah. No, you and I had a conversation and you said you were gardening at the mm -hmm. same time. So, mm -hmm. so that was good. Yeah. So yeah, we all need to find those ways to be able to sort of de-stress as a result of all the 
pain and suffering that we see around us uh, on a daily basis. So obviously vaccines is a passion of mine. It's a passion of yours. And vaccine hesitancy has really taken a spotlight. It's sometimes it becomes a political issue. Sometimes it just becomes people's issues around personal freedoms and so on. But, you know, you being an Afri African-American male and from an African-American community where you were raised and obviously your connection uh, to the African-American community, what what do you see as vaccine, like what is the state of vaccine hesitancy right now amongst diverse populations? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Bob. And, and again, appreciate you having me on the podcast to, to talk about it and address it. So I'll say uh, with my current employer at Cone Health in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, I was tapped to have this very same conversation. So um, one of the silver linings, I would say, within this pandemic is that pharmacy, and especially leaders in pharmacy, have really been able to take um, a, a commanding role in this public health crisis. And I, I've had this question come up to me several times as well. Is it is it hesitancy? Is it a lack of access? And, and I think it's just really complicated. And, and, and as you said, I mean, speaking as a Black male, I try to look at it through a number of different lenses. Um, probably one of the most prevalent is that there is a just overall distrust of uh, government and government infrastructures within the black community. And, and I can tell you, I was raised by a single mom in Baltimore City and know what those feelings are like. You just 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 feeling like, um, anything attached to uh, government, and this is not to, to get political or anything, it is just inherently bad, or, or it's not something that is advantageous for the Black community. Um, I'm sure it's been addressed a number of times, but uh, you know, Black people will immediately look at things like the Tuskegee experiment, and I'll tell you before I went to pharmacy school and, and dug in more uh, deeper into the topic. I probably had an assumption about what occurred through some of those events that wasn't necessarily true. It was kind of colored by uh, the movies and, and the different medias that kind of put a little bit of spin on things. Um, but, but vaccine hesitancy is still very real, and some of it is uh, justified and some of it is not. And the most important thing uh, to me is that I tell people we have to walk and chew gum at the same time. And what I mean by that is that we can look at things and say, that um, there are difficulties that the African-American community have had that have led to those, uh, um, that vaccine hesitancy that we need to address. But we also need to address the issue in front of us, and that's COVID. And how do we get through that conversation and, and reduce that hesitancy? And I apologize. I think I cut you off there. No, 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 that's good. So what you're saying is there's really two issues here. There's, there's the COVID pandemic, and then there's a sort of a longstanding hesitancy around medical care is being seen more of a traditional parochial kind of an institution that African-Americans are just not trusting, right? A absolutely. And I, I look at those and, uh, you know, both of my parents, I mean, both of them deal with pretty significant um, healthcare afflictions. And some of the care that they've received, again, now as a, as a healthcare professional that knows more, you look at it through a, a different perspective of like, well, why did they not address these labs? Why did right. they not receive right. certain testing um, when we could have caught things earlier? Um, you know, my father is in, in his second bout with uh, testic 
testicular cancer. But when you sit down and you have a conversation with him and I, I learn more about his history, I go, man, why didn't they address this a decade right. ago? You, know, you, you were coming to the table uh, talking about these symptoms and they just went on deaf ears. And so it, it's really hard because people start to put that together. And, and in the black community, you just hear immediately, hey, they don't care about us. Uh, we, we can't trust them. Um, nothing they do is is beneficial for us or we don't want to be lab rats. And, and it's tough because you have to find a way to address both issues, but really separate the conversations of, of we hear you that, that, that as healthcare providers um, and as the institution of healthcare in the United States, there have been failures for the black and brown community, yes. And at the same time, this public health crisis that we're facing right now um, as, as a really a global community, not even just the United States or a black community, as a global community, we have to address it. And therefore we need your trust um, that, that we're not going to wrong you again. And that's just hard for certain people to, to really thread that needle. That's really interesting. I hadn't, hadn't actually thought about it that way, Andre, because, I mean, to me, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, this is the, this is the coronavirus, this is serious. You know, why, why, why are you hesitant to get a vaccine? But it's really two issues. It's hesitancy around the system and distrust. And that just pours over into the vaccine. And I, I do know that when I've been giving vaccines uh, to black and brown populations, they, they a lot of them do talk about, I'm here because, you know, I'm not so sure why I'm here, but I'm here because, you know, I have a son or daughter who's a nurse or, you know, in your case, a pharmacist. And, but I do still sense that. And I, you know, I, I try to, uh, and there, it's a little bit more difficult to vaccinate those folks just because they're so anxious and so mistrustful, and you spend have to spend a lot of time talking to them. And uh, I've had a couple of people say, "No, I don't want the vaccine," and leave. I mean, that's happened. So I, I I can see it, and I think your perspective is really valuable to me, and I hopefully to the listeners. And that it really is really two separate issues. We've got to understand, uh, you know, the sort of disparities in healthcare among African Americans and others. And then there's the COVID pandemic. So we, but we've got to focus on the COVID pandemic because the health disparities of African Americans is and others is just making it worse, right? Um, and I'll say that's the conversation that I continue having. It's it's a we all want to get back to to our to our normal lives, and and we can have a conversation about whether or not that that's realistic or not. Um, but I try to look at the disparities that are really being potentiated by the COVID pandemic. And when you look at it, um, you have a lot of uh, marginalized black children that aren't able to get back in school. Um, they're not able to get lunches that they would normally get if they were in school. Right. You know, they'll have parents that, that now have to figure out that they choose between working and keeping a roof over their heads or being present because their kids aren't able to go back into school. People right. don't realize like how devastating, not only just from a health perspective, but all other aspects of the socioeconomic dichotomies that we have out here that are impacting black and brown communities. And so it's almost like a double-edged sword. It's, it's we, we have worse outcomes if we have uh, contract COVID and then the devastation that it's doing to our communities is just potentiated by that. And right. so um, again, a, as a black male who, who's part of the healthcare profession, Inside, I'm screaming. It's like, come on, you know, we, we've got to do this. We've got to hunker together. I, I Again, I get the distrust. I, I get the anger. I get the frustration. I hear it all. I feel it all. 
Um, and then it's just like you, you have to stay at the table and have that conversation of how do we get to where we need to be? How do we say, I hear you. I hear that frustration. I empathize with it. We're going to address it. We have to find a way to address it. Here in the now is we have something that is devastating the community. We have to find a way to deal with it. Yes, that's great. So do you have any personal stories to share if you're comfortable, Andre? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we talked and I'm, I'm happy to share it uh, here on the podcast as well. Um, but really, uh, vaccine hesitancy has become very prevalent within my own family. And uh, it's something that I have had a really tough time dealing with, I would say, over the past um, year plus with, with seeing people in my family that I love and had a lot of respect for, and even just seeing the division within my own family. I, I have certain sides of my family that they are fully vaccinated, and I have another side of my family um, who I share a lot of love with and a lot of time with that are posting anti-vaccine and will never get it, and, and it's tough. And so probably the one that hits near and dear to me is my mom. Uh, my mom has all of the comorbidities that are, um, you know, normal to uh, older uh, black women. So she um, has diabetes, she has hypertension, she has hyperlipidemia. Uh, she's kind of borderline on the obesity side and she will not get the vaccine. And, and, and I'm her only child. That's a pharmacist that is speaking about this, that is, is doing as much as they can. And, and it's hard knowing that you have a mom that's basically saying, I don't believe you, um, that, that I get it. I, I know you're, you're educated, you've done this, you did the residency, you speak to a lot of people at it, but her own fears and, and the things that she's dealing with, um, we know that there's a ton of misinformation out there, it is, is more important to her than, than my word. And it's tough. I mean, at one point in time, I just said, I don't know what else to, to say other than the fact that, that I'm your son, I love you, I want the best for you. And, and I would never steer you wrong. I, I would never do something that, that would hurt you. Um, I would never recommend to you something that, that I wouldn't take myself. And, and those conversations are hard. And then I contrast that with my dad, who has, again, is a, is a multiple time cancer survivor. And, and he said, hey, do I need to get this? And I said, absolutely. And, and he was the first in line. And, and so it's hard. And, and I have, uh, you know, two of my cousins, I don't have siblings, but I have two very close cousins that I grew up with. And I look at them like brothers. And, and they have also fallen very deep into the misinformation. And they're constantly posting uh, the anti-vaccine rhetoric. And, and, and we've had you know, our, our back and forth on Facebook, I picked up the phone and just said, hey, look, um, this is devastating our communities. What are you doing? Uh, we, we have, we've, we've had all these vaccines that you're sitting around saying no with because we went to school on the base in Fort Meade, right? And so we had to have all kinds of vaccines. Like both of our parents were military brats. They traveled the world and have had a ton of vaccines. I was like, why would you sit here and say that vaccines cause all these things when when we're all living proof that that's just not true and it's just that misinformation has has gripped that community and, and those persons um very deeply so so then with your mom not again not to be too personal but with your mom so what what was this so it's a strategy just being empathetic and saying i understand and is it more patience is it more just providing information is it more trying i mean I mean, what what's the best what what's been the best approach for you to this point? 
Well, I think in the beginning, I, I approached it completely wrong. And so like, it was, you're going to die I, if you don't get the vaccine kind of thing. Or yeah, something. yeah. You, you kind of used the fear tactics. Yes, uh, fear, there was yes. definitely anger out there, too, where I just said, well, look, you can't visit me if you're not going to take the vaccine. Or I'm not, I, we even had a period of time where I said, I'm just not going to talk to you because I'm seeing the devastation. I see how it affects my team. Um, and, and you're kind of spitting in the face of them, and I, I don't appreciate it. And, and I really had to take a step back, and I think I, I looked to some of the lessons that I learned during my time at Ohio State. And, and actually, I'm going to probably quote a, a UW alum in, in David Zills, but I, I remember a, the conversation we were at OSU, and, it, and he basically said that the most important thing to do is just stay at the table. Right. Continue having the conversation. And, and obviously, in that point in time, it was talking about how you get along with other departments within the health system, whether it's with physicians or nurses, is to just stay at the table. The moment you walk away, you have essentially vacated any kind of uh, ground you have. And, and both people walk away essentially feeling like one loss and one one gain something. And so the most important thing I do is just continue talking to her. And I talk to her, even though sometimes she'll just not want to hear it. And, you know, she calls me every couple of days and I say, hey, how are you doing? Are you staying safe? Are you still wearing your mask? Hey, let's talk about, you know, your thoughts around the vaccine. What are you hearing? Um, what's, what's really pushing you to feel strongly one way or the other and you really start to understand of where these influences are, are, are coming from. And it's something that I'm just, I, I told her, I said, I'm going to stay here and, and we're going to talk about it every single time. You want to talk to me, I'm your only kid. Uh, we have to have this conversation because you love me, I love you. And just know that every time we talk, this conversation is going to go back to the vaccine because I love you and I want the best for you. And I, I've gotten her close sometimes uh, where she said, okay, I'm just going to sign up for it. Uh, then, then it was she was going to get the Johnson and Johnson, and then a couple of things happened with the blood clots, and oh, you have to yeah, back sure. and, and explaining a lot of those sure. aspects. But, Absolutely. But the most important thing is just just to stay at the table, continue having the conversation. Um, you, you don't want to make people feel like they're wrong. Um, because we're, we're then obviously typecasting them like they're bad people or they're, they're malicious in their approach. And a lot of them are not. I think the vast majority of them feel as though they are doing the right thing. And we have to understand that what has taken root is that misinformation. And that misinformation is very convincing um, because I've even asked my mom at times, I say, can you send me what you're looking at? Can, can I see uh, what you see exactly. when you go on Facebook or, or what you're searching for? And what you realize is that within social media and even these um, you know, search algorithms, that it's there not to necessarily inform, but essentially codify your perspectives. And so if you feel like the vaccine is bad or you feel like, oh, there's not enough data, we're some guinea pig, your search algorithm is going to take you to things that essentially validate your perspective, exactly. right or wrong. And, yeah. and that's the really tough thing. And so I'll tell her, I said, look, hey, let's look at let's look at this website, right? You go into this website and you're, you, you really feel like it's strong about it, but let's look at the website itself. I think one of the biggest fallacies that we've done as a public health um, approach is tell people to do their own research without equipping them 
with the baseline knowledge of how to critically evaluate resources, right? Like we learned that in pharmacy school and residency that you don't just look at the title and the conclusion and walk away feeling like you know how that drug was studied or um, what population you can use that drug in, right? Like we have to, we critically evaluate it. How many patients were there? Where were they studied? Was it blinded? Were there any biases from the author? Um, what kind of publication was it in, right? Like, is it, is it a peer reviewed? We know those kind of things. And yet the general public doesn't. And yet we told them to go out there and do their own research without recognizing that social media and these search uh, search engines will take you to exactly what you want to see without you understanding whether or not those sources are validated. That's a great point, Andre. That is a great point. And that's so, you know, kind of that's a, an excellent point. I had not thought about that because that I think is something that we as leaders, pharmacists can tell people that if you put in, you know, vaccine conspiracy theory, yeah. It's going to take you to websites that are going to support that. It's not going to take you to websites that are going to say, hey, you know, let's think about this or whatever. It's going to take you to WebMD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. The, the, other, the other thing it's, you really touched on is obviously empathy, patience, information. So you may have to go two and three and four times to talk to people before they even think about getting a vaccine, particularly if there's a high degree, as you said, of mistrust of various parts uh, of our healthcare system. But well, what do you think then about access? So access is, I've always thought, and actually wrote an article in AJHP, I wrote a, I wrote a, a like a commentary about wh what I think should be done. And I, I think we should be bringing vaccines to people. And what are your thoughts about that as a strategy of combining sort of education with them, like taking a trusted member of the African-American community like yourself and and then having you or, you know, somebody like you talk to a, a group of folks and then have the availability of vaccine there shortly after? Well, well to no surprise, you're, you're spot on. And, and I really appreciate you providing those a commentary so that, that people in AJHP can see it um, because it's not, it's not talked about enough. And, and access is an issue. Um, and I'll even kind of add a couple of more aspects on it. But, but that's what I, I've been involved with here in North Carolina. We, we brought up a bunch of mobile clinics because very early on, we have a great um, diversion, equity and inclusion officer um, here at Cone Health. And that, that's exactly what she came to the table with. And she said, you know, access is going to be a um, problem in certain communities. And we looked at it not only in within African-American communities, but we're in North Carolina. We have a very rural population. And she said, hey, there's even places here that are predominantly white that, that don't have reliable access to the Internet. And so they're not even going to know where they can get it. And so we started creating mobile clinics where we go out into the community. Um, it's typically um, what we'll, we we'll, may take pharmacists, nurses, physicians, and really just go out and educate and allowing that, that vaccine to also be accessible to them at the same time with the hopes that we can bring them in. The, the other part that we also have to address around access, though, is um, a, a lot around the fact that 
poorer communities, and we, we, we know that there are a number of those communities that are predominantly black as well, and I don't mean to kind of paint that with a broad brush, but when you talk about access, it's just their inability to get away, right? To, to be able to get away from work, to come and get this vaccine, knowing that the vaccine, regardless of which ones you go for, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, have side effects, and then the fact that you may end up missing a day for work the next day. Um, or now you've got to go exactly three weeks or four weeks again afterwards, not recognizing that to some communities, uh, that's the difference between you know putting food on the table and not putting food on the table. That a lot of them don't have the things like paid time off or that ability to traverse far away in the city or wherever it may be to get that vaccine. And so we have to take every opportunity possible to increase that access and I'm really proud of the clinics that I'm over uh, that focus on oncology. But one of the things I push them is that we should also be able to give vaccines at every single one of our clinics out there, regardless if we have pharmacy on site or not, because it's the right thing to do for our community. So you're, you're spot on that access will, will continue being a challenge. Exactly. Um, address. Yeah. So, and, I, and again, Andre, I can't tell you how proud I am of you in terms of what you're doing here and, and, and what your role has been and how you're really working. And you've always been this way and I've always admired you. You've always had a strong interest in your community. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the challenges that African-Americans have and your own challenges. And I, I think you're just really proud of what you're doing. Speaking of being proud of what you're doing, apparently you're a sort of a celebrity too, right? You have a television show or a radio show that you talk about health issues. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. I'll say uh, a lot of people at, at Cone Health, they'll, they throw a little, not not barbs, but they always kind of tease me of uh, the media star or, or something like that. But no, uh, every other Monday, I have a, a quick 15 to 45 minute time uh, that I go onto our local news channel. It's a um, channel two, it's a Fox News station, WFMY, uh, here in the Greensboro, North Carolina area. And what I do is I, I answer questions. And so um, we'll have either one of the reporters ask me about questions. So whether it was um, obviously when the vaccines became available, I've spoken about uh, masking and what, what its role is there, obviously social distancing um, as the vaccines rolled out. How do you how do you get it? Where do you find it? The FDA approval, all the things that occurred with around the, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And really, the goal is to allow people to ask whatever questions that they feel like they're hearing. And, and, and my goal is, again, not to shame them. Like I, I've gotten I'll, I'll tell you about I've gotten some off the wall questions that come in. And, and I did have one that just tripped me up because in my mind, I'm going, geez, where did you hear something like this from? But but what I do is I really center. Uh, what was the question? The, the question was, they said, well, hey, I, I heard that anyone that received the vaccine, their life expectancy is only three years now. And for the life of me, I just couldn't figure out where something like that would occur. Actually, I had to, when I got off, I had to look, go and look and say, where did this come from? I know where, the, I know where it partially came from. And I'm just guessing <clears throat> there was a very, there was a very uh, notable news report, probably two months ago about the fact that the COVID pandemic has reduced the overall life expectancy in the United States by 2.2 or 2.6 years. Okay. Like, or, or, or one point or point. It was some reduction in life expectancy. And I think people somehow, I, I think people somehow correlated that to 
if he received like the vaccine. vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, I'm sorry. I don't yeah. mean to interrupt. No, you. It, no, it's a good, it's a great conversation. And and so those are the things that come. I, I mean, we get all kinds of questions about uh, pregnancy. I'm thinking about becoming pregnant. Um, I had allergies. I don't get the flu vaccine because I have allergies. And you, you, this is where, you know, I was going earlier is that you realize that, we are professionals for a reason, right? Like we, we have our doctorate of pharmacy for a reason. And that is because the human body and, and the drugs that we then put into our system to affect our systems to, to, to help promote our health are extremely complicated. Um, that's why pharmacy school is difficult. That's why uh, becoming a nurse is difficult. Becoming a physician is, is difficult. And it takes specialized training to really get through all of the noise that's out there. Um, you know, you get the question of, well, why haven't they found a, a vaccine for HIV? All these kind of questions that, that we've all heard. I, I am there every other Monday, like I said, anywhere between 15 to 45 minutes to say, throw whatever you want at me. I'm, I'm going to come at you with a very respectful response. Um, I'm going to hear what you're saying. I'm going to then um, provide you that data and, and then show you exactly where you should be looking to, to receive that data. And there are some things that, that I may not feel comfortable with speaking to. And I always tell them is that that's the appropriate response. If I don't know the answer, I'll say, hey, that's a great question. Um, when I come back <laughs> the Monday after next, let's pick that up. I want to make sure I address it or we'll put it on their Facebook website to make sure that I connect those dots there. Uh, but it's something I enjoy. And, and it's a great, uh, I think, opportunity for pharmacists just to be out front and center. And for people just to see, I'm a person in the community just like they are. So um, I'm, I'm going to ask a, a, a quick a question that I know, I hope the answer is what I, do they refer to you hopefully as Dr. Andre Harvin? They do. They do. Yeah. I'll say they flubbed my last name a couple of times as Harbin, but I say, oh no, it's wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I ask for a reason in that, uh, you know, there's many uh, organizations that don't recognize PharmD folks as doctor and publicly acknowledging them by their honorific titles. And I'm glad that the news station, uh, you know, has an honorific title, you know, uh, understands and appreciates your honorific title. That's absolutely that's great. Yeah, no, they've been a great partner for us. And I've done a number of, of interviews. I, I'd say at this point, my wife was asking me the other day, she's like, how many times do you think I've done? I said, I've probably been on about 50 different times of even just different and again, I, I enjoy it. It's it's not something that that uh, I don't put it on my CV or anything, and, and I don't say, "Oh, you didn't check me out on the news." It's just an opportunity again to give back, um, show that that you can come and speak to your pharmacist about things, come and speak to a healthcare provider, and, and really, my my message consistently is that. Uh, we can't do this without everyone. I think that's the most important thing to come away with it, whether it's within the black and brown community, whether it's within those that are uh, not in that community, but are just vaccine skeptic. We can't get past this pandemic without everyone. We can't leave anyone behind. It is probably the most important way um, that I can come to the table with it. And we don't want to leave anyone behind. It's, it, it is team human versus team virus. And, and if you're not a team human, that means you're pro-virus, which no one really is. And, and again, it's just it's that misinformation that, that's taken root. Um, some of it is absolutely malicious. Some of it's just people don't know any better. And, and I've really, like I said, started curving the conversation. I don't tell people to, to do their own research. I say, you know, come and, come and talk 
to us at, at Conel. Come and find me at a clinic. Let's sit down and talk. Um, come and talk to your uh, primary care provider. Speak to your pharmacist. Speak to your nurse. Let us have a conversation with you rather than you going out into social media and trying to find your way to the right answer. Sometimes that's hard. I, I, I look at it the same way of, um, you know, on my car, and if my mechanic says you need brakes, I, I don't go, well, I'll just, I'll just Google it and, and put the brakes right. on myself. I don't need, I, we don't do that, right? Like, or right. I had a guy come here and fix my HVAC system. I, I don't turn around to him and say, you know, I'm, I think I saw a video the other day. I think I can fix this myself. <laughs> we don't do that. Right? We don't do that with anything else. Yeah, but people now, tend to do that with this. Though. Yeah, with it, in healthcare, it's like everyone became this uh, expert overnight. And you go, well, when did, where did you get your doctorate? Uh, you didn't. And, and again, it's not to be disrespectful or it's not to um, cast anyone aside. It's just to be realistic that, that the human body is exceptionally complex. These drugs, these vaccines, whatever it may be, are incredibly complex. And you reading one article or one opinion piece, a lot of times they are just opinion pieces, does not make you an expert. And we all have to be comfortable with understanding things that we are just not experts in. And again, I do it all the time. Yeah, and the other thing is, so I've had situations where, I th and I think an important lesson, there's been lots of important lessons you've, you've told our audience, Andre, but a really important lesson is humility in terms, if somebody, like I don't say to people, wait a minute, I have a, PharmD degree, I have a master's degree, I worked as a clinical pharmacist, I'm board certified, I'm an expert in vaccines, I'm an expert in drugs and pregnancy because I write the national, you know, chapter for a very, you know, prestigious, you know, OB tech. I don't say any of that. I don't say like, have you seen somebody die from COVID? I don't say any of that. I just sit and listen. But I'm thinking in the back of my mind and I'm frustrated because it's like, I think to myself, where did this person get the credentials to say these statements? But And that's really hard for us as educated people and experts in various areas to say. But I think it's important that we don't say that to people because I think it just fuels, um, you know, animosity, or it becomes an argument, then it's political. And then, yeah, so that's a great lesson. That and you know, getting the word out to the public, um, using the, the venues you're using in terms of the media, uh, you know, having experiences in your own family and dealing with those. And uh, I will say publicly, I really hope your mom gets the vaccine. And I hope she does too, and I appreciate yeah. it. And, 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 and I will be very happy when that day does hopefully come that your mom gets the vaccine. So if your mom's listening to this, I'm certainly hopeful for her. <laughs> Um, so again, I, I can't tell you how much, uh, uh, how proud the university is of you, Andre, and what you've done and how you've taken on this issue with such enthusiasm and really, you know, the, the Lashley enthusiasm for excellence, right? You've taken it on as a passion and I, I know you have a very busy job during the day. So taking the time to make sure that people in your community are safe is really admirable and uh do you have any final parting words for our residents any words of advice based on kind of your training at ohio state and what you've experienced so far in your career absolutely i think probably one of the biggest things that i i've, I've had this conversation even with our residents here 
uh, at my organization. And so to the residents that are listening, um, just take advantage of the time you have. You, you have, I, I look at residency and it's so transient, right? It's one year, it's two years, it's maybe three years if you decide to do a fellowship. Um, but it's probably one of the last times in, in your career where you just get to throw yourself fully into to learning and, and, and being a student at the highest possible level. We're all lifelong learners, but as you said, it's like we all have our day jobs, real life starts to hit. In residency, you can really fully dedicate yourself to honing your craft, um, to really becoming a better practitioner. And so I've had a lot of people ask me, okay, well, what would you do differently um, if you could do residency again, I said, I'd probably put even more time into it. I would probably ask even more questions about leadership topics. I, I, you know, spend more time with the great leaders that we had at, at Ohio State because that time was so precious and it's been so influential on, on my career that I, I continuously to look back and, and, and just see the fondness of it. You know, I really, it was, it was tough. You know, we had a, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, but you really appreciate everything you learn and, and how it helped you develop as, as a person and as a professional. So I tell everyone, take advantage of that year, those two years, whatever it may be, take full advantage for it, dive in, um, and then you'll really thank yourself for it later on in your career that, that you did it um, and that you really put as much effort as possible into it. Those are very valuable words. So for the residents listening, please heed Dr. Harvin's words. Those are very valuable words to get as much as you can out of your residency and live every day to find out as much as you can about running a hospital pharmacy and contributing to our profession. Andre, it's been fabulous to talk to you today. Uh, I, I am positive that our listeners will find this to be one of the most valuable, if the most valuable podcast that I've done. So again, I really appreciate your time and have a great day. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.